How you guys doing? It's Imagine Family. It's your host, Mark Karaki. Excited to bring you another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the awesome privilege of sitting down with Mr. Idarinian Obong, CEO and co-founder at Gray, Lagos-based fintech startup that is solving the problem of enabling Africans to get a foreign currency account for all your international payments. Another great example of the continuing theme of founder problem fit. Ide is on a mission to solve a problem that he personally dealt with, where as a software engineer working for a foreign company, he needed a bank account that could absorb foreign currency for his compensation. And the process of setting one up took weeks to complete in, in Nigeria. And he wondered why something so routine would be so full of friction and so difficult to accomplish. And from there, Gray was born, initially known as Aboki Africa, and you'll hear about that story in the podcast. This is another example of how so much friction still exists in Africa business and uh, consumer space, and I dare say the world. And technology can spool it out so many rough edges and so much opportunity still exists out there. From tech product developer to high growth tech entrepreneur in record time, this is another story that anything is still possible and there's so much opportunity out there. Enjoy the podcast. All right, Mr. ID, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, uh, excited to have you and excited to talk about uh, Gray, uh, the company that you're, you're building, uh, fintech startup out of uh, Nigeria. Which, which part of Nigeria are you based? I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria. Okay. Is that where you're originally from or did you move there from somewhere else? Uh, I'm not from Lagos. I'm actually from Akwaibom, the uh, south-south state in Nigeria. Uh, but I moved, I moved to Lagos um, fully about three, four years ago. Uh, but previously, I, I spent some time in Lagos and then left. Uh, so this is like my second commute. How, how would you describe life in Lagos from your perspective? Well, um, initially it was like very, I would say, turbulent <laughs> because I always had to commute. Um, I remember when I moved back here, I was working on the island and then I lived uh, on the mainland. So I had to wake up very early, commute by like 7 a.m., try to get to the office by 9 and then leave very late so that I don't meet so much traffic and stuff. So initially it was very bit difficult, uh, but much later when remote work started being very popular, um, that has limited my movement. So it's uh, a lot easier right now. Fantastic. So in regards to Lagos, you know, what type of characteristic does it take to be, to be, to thrive in that city or even to survive what what, what kind of a what, what kind of characteristic or characteristics does it take well most people would tell you you need to quote unquote shine your eye you need to be very vigilant so i'll, I'll most likely say the same thing just be very vigilant because a lot can happen before you turn left and turn right <laughs> that's it well, yeah, Africa is uh, a place of uh, high contrast and, and, and just a lot of dynamics happening in, uh, in, in our different cities. So, but, you know, let's, let's dive into, you know, your background here. So I was looking at, at your background and I found it very interesting. You know, Android, Android engineer, turned tech writer, turned startup founder, you know, and I was like, 
okay, you've, you've done a lot of stints at a lot of different places, uh, probably close to maybe 10 or 12 different companies and products you've worked on over the last uh, decade or so. And I was just wondering, like, what were, what were your aspirations as a child? You know, did you, did you see yourself as a tradesman who would be, you know, going from place to place trading or what, 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 what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I would say uh, initially um, when I was in like secondary school, um, I would say my major aspiration was to be like a computer engineer. Um, but then what I had in mind was I wanted to be able to take out the computer, figure out what was going on in like literally every part, know what's missing and what needs to be fixed, stuff like that. Um, but then by the time I got into school, um, I didn't get into school uh, to study computer engineering. I rather got into school to study computer science. So that was like where the pivot happened. And then I decided that, okay, I was going to be a software engineer. Uh, so like from my hundred level, my first level in the university, um, those were my aspirations. And I worked tirelessly towards that. Fantastic. And so you've, you've worked across a number of different projects, companies, products. Was that intentional? How did that happen? I know you were, were you freelancing or what was your career trajectory like? How did this come to be? Um, well, I would say for most part, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a plan. I say it wasn't a plan because uh, I think me working in so many places has been like, um, a result of maybe good work I have done in previous parts because um, a lot of um, roles I got into were like true recommendations. Uh, so uh, mostly the freelancing part of things. Uh, so initially, I, I think I started off at Busha Digital Limited, um, which was like a cryptocurrency exchange mm. in Nigeria. Uh, I was like a software engineer there. And then I was at Paystack. And then I was at Yellow Card, where I was a technical lead. And then I had the opportunity to work as a um, technical writer at Odzero, Circle CI, um, GetStream, uh, and the likes. Interesting. So how, you've worked at some very well-known brands. Uh, obviously, that has come with, I'm sure, some high valuable, highly valuable experience. Uh, that has, how would you say, those experiences of working across different uh, products and well-known brands that are building some really cool uh, solutions. How has that contributed to your work today as a founder of, of Gray? Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's like the most important part. I would, I would say the most important piece in me starting Gray because um, I was a remote worker and then I got to face um, a lot of challenges I'm trying to fix while while building Gray. So I'd say it definitely contributed um, to me starting um, the company today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And then you became a technical writer, right? Yeah. Could you could you describe for the audience what that actually means and how you ended up doing that? Uh, and and is it important for techies to be able to write? Yeah, uh, so just starting with your last question, I think it's very important for um, software engineers um, 
to be able to write. Techniques generally should be able to write. Uh, because if you write often, you realize that um, you need to be able to put together your thoughts to actually communicate properly to the audience you're targeting. Um, you might be walking around with so many ideas, uh, but then when you write, you're actually putting these different pieces together. So I think mm -hmm. it helps become a better communicator. Uh, so uh, technical writing, I would say, is basically being able to explain the process of building something or use it, using a particular technology. And so that's basically what I was doing as a tech writer. So um, I'd be writing tutorials on how to use specific, to, specific tools for um, different companies based on their products. For instance, um, I was a technical writer at Odzero. Odzero offers um, authentication as a service product. So mm -hmm. I had to explain to the audience how they could use this while building the applications, what was the importance and what are the trade-offs and stuff like that. Fantastic. And Alta Zero obviously is big, big brand. I think they got acquired by uh, Okta. I forget. Okta, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think they got acquired by them. And, and so what, what, what would you say, what were the biggest revelations that came to you after going through the technical writing journey? What are some of the insights, revelations, new new way of thinking uh, or assumptions that you had before? What changed for you? Yeah, so I think one of the major things that changed for me when I started technical writing was that I realized I could do way more than just being an Android engineer. Um, because when I started my software engineering career, I said I was going to focus on Android. And so mm -hmm. I was working on Android projects, uh, then I became a technical writer. Mm -hmm. So uh, being a technical writer um, made me realize that I could do way more than just Android. I could actually start working on backend projects. And I later actually learned how to build backend projects. And I did that for my startup. So mm -hmm. uh, he exposed me, he gave me a lot of exposure uh, to, to where I am today. Fantastic. And I'm sure it made you a better communicator or yeah. uh, one of the things I find about writing, it, it really, like you said, clarifies your thoughts. Because sometimes when your thoughts are in your head, they are all jumbled on top of each other. And But yeah. when you write, you can only write one sentence at a time. So, <laughs> And you have it has to connect to the next one. So it really yeah. clarifies your thoughts. Do you think it, it, it contributed? Has it made you a better communicator today? Or are you, you know, how have you evolved just from a communication standpoint? Yeah, it definitely has, uh, because even sometimes where I have like so many ideas running around on maybe stuff we could build and uh, stuff like that, I actually sit down, open my notion, and then just write out the different scattered ideas and then start putting them together, uh, just writing them out. So that has definitely made me um, better communicate them. Fantastic. And, and so... On to your, to your current project, uh, Gray, which uh, was for, had a different name before, which we'll get to later on. And I love your story and I, because it fits with this uh, belief I have that some of the best founders are the ones who are solving their own problems. So your prop, founder problem fit is kind of spot on. You know, yeah. you are solving a problem that you are intimately familiar with, that you are facing. Uh, 
And so why don't you tell us what that problem is? Tell us that story. And then you can also tell us what gray is. All right. So um, while working as a, a remote um, worker for um, the foreign companies I was working for, for instance, Otzero. Otzero is like the very popular use case because that was when I realized this problem. Um, I remember first when I had to open a domicile account because um, Otzero said they were going to pay me in dollars. And so I needed a domicile account. And what is, a what is a domiciliary account? Um, okay, so a domiciliary account uh, is like a local account that helps you hold foreign currency. So Got you it. have your local bank account, which is your local currency, and then you have your local, you have your domiciliary account, which helps you hold um, foreign currency. So in my own right. case, I, I wanted a USD domiciliary account. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember going to the bank, I had to go to the bank, get some forms. I filled them. Um, I had to look for referees. I had to look for two referees who were current account holders. Wow. And so then I, I gave one of the forms to my dad. Uh, my dad filled one. And then it was just a lot of hassle for me to get a second referee because I mean, a lot of my peers, no one had a current account. Everybody was using a account that they created while they were in like school or stuff like that. Right. So it was and so a, a current account is define a current account for the audience because we have different terminology across the continent in terms of banking and a lot of things. So what is a current account? Uh so I would say like a current account is like different from a savings account in the sense that yeah, a current account helps you. You could get like a check, you could get higher spending and send limits as well. Got and it. Got it. Check yeah. So, okay. it was so like a, a checking account or kind yeah. of, which, which is what they call it in the US, but in Kenya, we also have current account, but I, I didn't realize. So I guess the distinction there, you can get, you can write checks yeah. and you have higher spending and transfer limits. Yes. You have higher transfer limits. Even if it's your money. Uh, yes. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, I think it took me about three months or so to finally um, get like a second referee. And so all this while, um, you can't create the account without, without your referees. Um, I think at some point I got a second referee and then went to the bank and the bank created the account for me, but then they couldn't verify my referees because they needed to call the referees that signed for me directly. And then some of these referees used old numbers to create the account. Oh, wow. They're no longer using. So the chances of you finding a referee who had a current account and then whose phone number attached to the account was the actual phone number they were using um, was very slim. So at some oh, point, yeah. I even why is it because is it because the current account holders are older? Do people change their numbers all the time? What's What's the causality there? Well, a, a lot of people will, um, as I then when I was trying to open um, a current account, a lot of people who I met were able to like help were a lot older. And some of them have opened these accounts when they were like way, way younger, like sometimes like 10 years ago. And then they may have mm -hmm. lost that phone number 
Right. Yeah, we we'll, might not have had the opportunity to use like particular number for like a long time like that. So mm. email mm. Yeah. Wow. So just opening the account was a hassle for you to get paid. <laughs> exactly. And then okay. I finally got that out of the way. And then one particular day I was trying to pay for my rent. And then I had to now go to the bank to queue up and then redraw the dollars cash. And mm. then now for um, a trusted, they usually call them our bookies here in Nigeria. Mm. A so bookie? Actually, yeah. Okay. And, and, and what, what does that mean? Uh, a bookie actually means friend, but it's like... Friend, a, okay. Yeah, it means mm. friend in the house around mm. it. But then mm. it's like a, a nickname for people who do um, currency exchange for you on like roadside. Oh, wow. so it's it's okay. Is it is it the black market for currency exchange? Yeah, so to the, that's like their name. That's what you call them. They are bookie. A bookie. <laughs> that's fantastic. Okay. Uh huh. So uh, I now had to look for someone to help me exchange um, this foreign currency to Naira, and then I didn't know anyone. And then I finally got someone who um, lived very far from where I stay. So it took him about one hour or so to come over and then get the cash from me and then give me Naira. So wow, it took me like almost an entire day just to um, go from my USD to Naira. And then not to talk of the how many months plus just to create the account. Open the account. <laughs> my God, that's really hard. So um, this was what made us, uh, uh, this was what made me realize that, okay, I think we need to build something to fix this. And, so, and that's where, I'm... go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and so that's where like Gray came in. And uh, well, previously we started off with the name Aboki Africa. Um, Which I think, name... is a, is a, I think is a fantastic name. Uh, <laughs> my, my natural question would be, <laughs> why did you change that name? But you can answer that question now, but why did you change your book Africa to Gray? Well, yeah, so I think first of all, um, initially when we started the company at Bookie Africa, we, we were just solving a currency exchange program, which we, it was expected that before you would come to our platform, you most likely have your own domiciliary account. Got it. Mm -hmm. to transfer your USD to us and then we are going to exchange, we're going to give you like Naira return. So that was why we named it Dabuki Africa because the initial like mission was just currency exchange. Uh, but that then while, while running this, we realized that there was like a bigger problem, which was actually getting a domiciliary account. Like I mentioned. Yeah. 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 That's why now we switched to top um gray. And then as we pivoted to gray, we then uh, now start issuing foreign accounts to customers. Fantastic. So um, that's that's. The, I, I can't wait to dig into how this all came, how you went from Aboki Africa, the process, and so on and so forth, and and Gray, because that's an evolution of, of your startup journey. But before we dive into that, your co-founder, right? I'm sure you you have a co-founder. Um, and how did you tell us about him? And how did you guys meet? How did you get to know each other? 
All right. So uh, my co-founder is Femi Agedo. Um, we met in school. We went to the same university together, which was then known as Cross River University of Technology. I think it's now University of Cross River. It has been renamed. So we, we were in the same, we were in the same sets. We studied the same course, computer science. We graduated together. Uh, so we, that was where we first met. Uh, we had a lot of similarities in the sense that we were both um, software engineers then. We both started learning Android together and mm -hmm. we've been together um, working on different other projects together. Some freelance projects, we worked on it together. And so like the last six, seven years, we've been um, actually working together before we um, started Gray together. Fantastic. So you're both coders, software developers, engineers. Yeah. And you are just running buddies, you know, and here you are now taking yeah. all the skills and experiences you developed to build Gray, right? So tell us before we continue what Gray is um, in your own words. Okay. So um, I like to make it as simple as possible. Like Gray provides foreign accounts for customers, for Africans. So uh, an African who is like working remotely um, can come on Gray, get a USD, Euros, or Pounds account, use it to receive your salary, use it to receive any other payment, and then you can convert it to your local currency. Fantastic. So you're on, are you a bank that just, you can open a foreign currency account, essentially? Yes, you can open a foreign currency account, but we aren't a bank. We partner with banks to offer these services. Got it. So you, you run on top of, yeah. of existing banks, you use their compliance, quote unquote, infrastructure, their licensing and all that stuff. And you guys provide the tech layer or what's the, what is this intersection of relationship there? Mm. Yeah. So the banks we partner with are like foreign banks because um, ah. we don't, we didn't want to uh, like face the hassle of the local banks, which is actually a problem. So these banks are like foreign banks. And then have like our own compliance AML policies, I know, which we have to even put in place before we are able to like talk and partner with banks. So mm. we have like our own compliance procedures, you know, in place already. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about how this started. Uh, so you you faced this, you know, domiciliary account setup, current account referees. One, yeah. it took months to do that and then getting an aboki to actually take your dollars and give you naira was a whole day ordeal and you're like man this is this is bad so what yeah. was it what how moving from that pain to the quote unquote first line of code or the decision to actually do aboki africa what was that timeline and then after that tell us when you started when when would you say is when you started building gray uh so I think this this started in 2019. The initial conception happened in 2019. And I think I was paying my rent sometime in October 2019. Mm -hmm. And the initial designs for the app was like the first draft was ready on 26 December 2019. So that's like three months from initial conception to first design. And, and then, at the time you at the time you're working at Yellow, Yellow Card app or what were you doing at the time? 
Or were you, did you go full-time right away? I, I didn't go full-time right away. I think as of then, I was still at Paystop. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think we, after I had the conception, spoke with um, Femi, we said, okay, let's build this. Uh, we then got a designer. Um, and so we had like first design draft in like December. And then we started coding in January. Amazing. And and was that now full-time or when did you both transition? Was that part-time? When did you guys transition to the full-time situation or what was that tra transition like? Well, did one of you guys go first? Did he, did he, or you, how did I go? Yeah. So um, initially first, because we didn't have money. <laughs> so we were just doing this on the side and said, okay, let's just see how this goes. Um, we, I feel like we always just had faith that at some point we're just going to be full-time on this. I don't think there was ever a time we said, what if this doesn't work? We didn't mm. like that. Um, Doubt. That, but yeah. So um, I think he first went full-time. My co-founder first went full-time for me um, before yeah. I joined. Uh, I would mm. say I went full-time mostly sometime last year, towards the end of last year, around October. Mm. Oh, wow. So, so that's October, 2021. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So, so from, from 2020 is when you guys got going, I guess he went, he went full-time in Q1, 2020, in March, 2020. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact period, but mm -hmm. he went um, full-time in 2021 as well. We both oh, went in 2021. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, so. So why don't you walk us through that whole process of design, product, go to market, you know, walk us through the phases um, and, and more specifically the changes that happened uh, in, in what were the main inflection points that were telling you this is working? Because now you, you, you build the application, you, you, you put it into the market. What happened? Hmm. Right. So after we... Lord, after we started working on the product, um, uh, let me see, after we started coding in like January 2020, mm. we had like a launch in June 2020. I remember that was the lockdown period from like March or so. So during the lockdown, we were still like head down coding. Uh, and then just after lockdown was lifted here in Nigeria, mm. um, we, we launched it. Uh, so I would say the major, one major thing was that we've, we realized that customers were actually coming on board. Um, our marketing back then was still just fully organic. Even a lot of it right now is still fully organic. Uh, so it was just telling a friend, telling a friend of a friend that, oh, you have USD that you want to exchange. You can use a bookie to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So I would say uh, we we launched an MVP very early, but we didn't really spend so many uh, so much time saying we want to perfect this. We just launched an M uh, MVP, and then based on feedback, we now started fine tuning. And then based on like request or like feedback, why a lot of customers could not use us was because they couldn't get account or they had issues with their own domestic accounts. Uh, yeah, realize that okay. There's a bigger problem. Let's start looking at how we can fill this in for our customers. Fantastic. So 
the initial idea was, okay, if you have USD, Aboki Africa can help you. Con what was the solution? Were you connecting them to the real Abokis on the ground? How were you guys going to actually do the actual transaction initially? So what we did, um, since there are like, um, restrictions on how you can transfer FX as a dead in Nigeria, that we had to open bank accounts in like different major banks, such mm -hmm. that if you had your USD in GT Bank and you want to convert it via Abuki, you would have, we'd give you our own GT Bank. And then mm -hmm. you had Asset Bank, we'd give you our own Asset Bank and then convert for you. And then we worked on ground it like a local BDC to actually be able to get um, NGN and then set to you instantly as well. Mm. Interesting. So did you have to, so, so the way this, this works, you, 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 you would have to have, uh, how would you liquid, liquefy the business? Because I come and give you $500. Yeah. Right. Then how you have to give me money instantly in a sense, right? Yeah. How did yeah. you guys have the float to actually do that? How did you make it work? Did, did the bank give you the money immediately? How did that work? Uh, well, I think we, we figured out different workarounds for it. First mm. was having like a standard startup float, maybe in like okay. a day or a week, uh, mm. where immediately you uh, make an exchange, we settle you instantly. And then depending on market prices and all, we can decide to do our own bulk exchange maybe with like a local BDC and mm. balance our floats and like the currencies we were offering. Interesting. Oh, very, 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 uh, very ingenious way to go about it. And so how did growth take off? Talk, talk to us about growth. So June is when you guys launched the app. You probably put it on WhatsApp group with friends and so on and so forth. So if you could describe for us what growth looked like over the, 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 the months that followed. Um, well, I think the first two months growth were quite slow. Our first two mm. months after we launched, we were struggling to get a few customers, but then things started um, hitting up like from third month. And we saw like very high month-on-month -month growth other than, I think if I remember very, very well, while we were still just using that MVP, there were certain months where we were processing like up to 250K dollars in transaction. Oh, wow. Then, yeah. Per, per, per month. Yeah, per month. So mm, mm, um, mm. it really grew, uh, like it grew pretty quickly, mm. faster than we thought. Uh, yeah, so amazing. And so was this before you did the, you, 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 you solved the domiciliary account problem or after, or what was the, the this, growth? This was, this was before we solved the domiciliary account problem. Amazing. Okay. So you, you had this spike in growth after a couple of months, three months. Do you remember yeah. what it was that was the inflection point? Did you do an event? Did you, what, what happened that actually went from a trickle to a flood? Uh, we didn't do any um, big event or whatsoever. We just had like few customers who loved what we did and gave us shout out on social media. And mm. that was how we got like a lot of customers. Amazing. So was it Twitter or Facebook or all the above? 
Twitter. Yeah, amazing. So Twitter became your 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 gateway to 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 growth. Um, yeah. Okay, and then so when you guys changed, when you guys added the foreign account solution, yeah, what happened? Um, when we added in terms of current, growth, yeah, when we added the current account solution, definitely growth picked up more because. I think that that validated our, our hypothesis that um, this was a problem and customers would need this. Uh, so we definitely like started growing at a very high pace uh, month on month, over like twenty percent month on month at the time. Oh wow! As well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. All right, and so now as you're growing at this rate, you guys are, were you already full time at that point, or you're part time still? I think me getting full time was when the growth was like really big and mm -hmm. they are just about to start fundraising. I think we had started fundraising and then realized, okay, um, if we're getting cash from investors, then we need to, time to yeah, get, get serious. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And so how much have you raised so far? So we raised a pre-seed in in October last year, we announced that last year, but it was undisclosed. And then we got into YC and YC obviously gives you like a 500K check. Mm. Yeah, we got mm. into YC early this year. We are part mm. of the 22 badge. Mm. Yeah, so YC's model changed, like in, I think it was late last year. Um, and I think you're the first founder I've talked to who has now ex gone through that 500K check transition from the 150k check so maybe you could tell us a little a little bit about how that works so for 500k so initially it was 150 for seven percent i think at some some cap uh now it's 500k and and does the 150 also play into that or what, what's the structure like and what 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 do you give up for the one for the 500k in terms of equity okay so um first the the deal is in two parts the first part is 125k for seven percent. Okay, uh, which that's still standard. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is standard, and yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the second deal is like the 375, which is at an MFN. Um, so this means that after you get into YC, um, from when you get into YC, any other funds you raise at whatsoever valuation cap, um, the lowest valuation cap is going to be what the 375k is we'll mm. so let's say you you got into yc you have your 125k you get the other 375k and then after you get out of yc let's say you raise that let's say 10 million dollars mm. and then you know um maybe one week after you get another check at like 50 million dollars uh let's say you're around that let's say 15 million dollars so the three five k is going to convert at the ten million dollars, which is like the most favorable nation, as wow. they call it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Um, you know, in your view, what's your take on 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 what you see and and just the advantages it it gives to African startups? I guess the better question to ask that is. What advantages does YC give to African startups? Well, I would say um, first is it gives you the opportunity to um, 
not think about money and then you would focus on your products because when you when you're starting up um initial concerns are oh how would i get money to fund this how would i um, get money to do this so the initial 500k just helps you be like okay i have 500k in the bank i can spend the next six months no distractions focus on what we're building get customers uh, and start making revenue so it gives you the opportunity to not worry so much about money um second thing is the network you have like yc companies of like 10 15 years back who can be very helpful to what you're building at the time uh so and there's like a system in place for you to be able to actually reach out to these guys directly because you're now a yc founder so that network that yc gives you as well it's like very very important like mm. it's very so I, I I have a dog in this race. I actually am a partner from here ventures. And so we actually invest in at pre-seed uh, and, and seed stage. And uh, we are based in Nairobi and we invest across the continent. So um, it, it's just a very interesting dynamic because there's pros and cons also because we need more local funds to be able to, to compete um, and support founders like yourselves. But uh, you know, we can continue with, with the conversation here. So, you have some money in the bank, and your and your and your and your organs blazing, building the company. Um, how are things going at this point? Uh, things are going fine, as I would say. You can't complain. Things are going fine. Fantastic. And 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 uh, has growth sustained? Has it increased? What? How? How? Uh, how? How are things happening on on the growth side? Uh, we've definitely been growing, been growing very fine uh, ever since we pivoted and all. Uh, ever yeah, we've still steadily been growing, so everything's looking good. Uh, mm -hmm. We are trying to expand the products uh, to do more. We are actively still trying to get more customers, but so far so good. Right, our traction is looking good. Yeah, fantastic. It's, it's obviously. A crowd, the fintech space in Nigeria and in Africa in general is, is a crowded one, and people are entering it from different problem sets. But you know, fintech will generally aggregate to some few solutions because you know uh, there'll be some consolidation there. What's your perspective on, you know, the folks who've gone before you and the folks who are kind of circling in and around uh, fintech for consumer specifically? You know, how what, what's your perspective on the competitive landscape? It, you know, from your from where you sit, is it high? Is it low? Is it medium? How do you think about it? Uh, well, I would say um, fintech in Africa is like pretty pretty tough uh, because like there are a lot of fintechs in in Africa. I'm starting with Nigeria. I know people say there are like so many fintechs, and then some would say there are still not enough. Mm -hmm. But there, there are lots of fintechs in, in Nigeria and Africa. I would say maybe one of our advantage, key advantage is that um, as I, when we were starting this solution, no one else was building this for consumers. So yes, that kind of gave us like a clear uh, competitive landscape, right? Mm -hmm. um, as I when we are um, pivoting um, to offer this foreign account to Africans. So um, even though competitors would start to spring up, uh, I think we'd fairly have an advantage because we've 
we started it off first and we've we've seen like real market data and are using that to shape up our products. Mm-hmm. And so you changed from Aboki Africa to Gray. Um, yeah. And, you know, I guess to me, this is completely from a subjective perspective. I like the Aboki Africa thing or the Aboki name. It stands out. Gray is a, is a very professional global name. So what made what made you guys make that change? Because you didn't have to change just because you are, you were doing the miscellary accounts with with you're providing people current accounts. You know what? Why did you guys change the name? What what was the reason for rebranding? Well, I, I would say two major things. Uh, first was like we we felt like the name Abuki had uh, we had outgrown that specific mission. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we're starting to do something bigger um, than what we were doing before, which was like a local currency exchange. Mm-hmm. We now want to build like a global, proper global business that can scale across Africa and beyond. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we felt that, that name, uh, we had outgrown that name. And so we needed Got like it. a new name. I'll say that like the major um, this thing. Secondly, it was um, because our website there was Abukido Africa, we just needed, um, we needed like a domain which wasn't just um, limited to the Africa. Like I said, we wanted it to be the global. So I would yeah. say like two, those two reasons um, influenced season two. And how did you, how, how did you arrive at that decision, right? I mean, it's obvious, like this is our strategy is global. It's, pan, it's, it's, it's a global strategy. So that makes sense. Was it difficult to give up their the bookie? Why had you gotten attached to that name or was it easy? Um, it was definitely not easy, especially for our customers. And mm. um, all of our customers um, had an attachment to the old name as well. So it's, it wasn't definitely easy, but I think right now people have uh, gotten comfortable with it. Everyone is fine with it now so mm-hmm. yeah it's a rough part but we always go through that phase and yeah. Yeah. yeah but but do you think if you started off looking back if you started the company as gray <laughs> with that name would you would it have hampered your growth initially well you, you can't really say we can't really say but we would not would i would not lie uh, the Nima Buki helped our initial growth because um, as a then, our initial focus was Nigeria. And so it was very relatable to a lot of the, Nigeria. The people on the ground, yeah. Very yeah. relatable. So you can see that helps our initial growth. Um, so if we would have started with Gray, I can't really say for sure. But then if you have a good product out there and you put in your efforts into marketing, I think irrespective of your name, it can grow. grow. Yeah. 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 The other one is just much more recognizable. People are, they relate to it right away. So it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost visceral. It's a visceral reaction, yeah. but fantastic. So, so let's talk about now your organization, your company, you know, uh, obviously now you, I'm sure you're no longer just the two of you, you and Femi, I'm sure the organization has grown. So talk to us about what's your current headcount right now and how, how are you growing in terms of headcount month on month? If, if you're growing at that fast or how, how, what that look like your head count and your growth rate from a employee perspective. 
Uh, right now we have like 26 employees. Um, I wouldn't really say we've been growing on headcount month on month because um, generally, even before the entire market's downtime and downturn um, going on, we've always been a fan of keeping things lean and uh, only hiring when we need, not just hiring because we can hire. So we've been, um, I would say, we've been pro do more with, with way less. I mean, as a startup, you should, you should actually be thinking of it that way, at least until it gets product market fit and stuff like that, we can just start scaling up. So we are currently 26. Um, I don't think we've really hired anyone this month, but we have, I would say maybe one or two hires we might join next month. So we don't really look at a month-to-month headcount per se. We just hire where we yeah. So you said a couple of very important words that I, I that I picked up on that I want to kind of d- double click on. Number one is the downturn. So yeah. you guys raised, you guys joined YC in 22. So the downturn has already happened in a sense. Have you guys done demo day? What's the situation for you guys in that in that regard? We so we were part of summer 22. Summer 22 is the badge ongoing right now. We were okay. part of so we started so was generate to match. So okay. our demo was like in match, yeah. Okay. Had the downturn the downturn had hit at that point, but had it started affecting people's percep- perspe- perceptions? And were you able to are you able to disclose if you were able to raise as a result of the YC? Well, we we don't have any other public uh, fundraising announcement uh, that has been announced yet, but if there's any, we would definitely uh, put out the word there. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a very interesting six months, uh, especially that January to March window. A lot was changing, right? Um, yeah. w- tell us about that experience because you joined YC with, you know, coming out of 2021, that high of African startups were on fire in terms of raising and things began to change in that first quarter. Can you describe for us your experience with that downturn experience? Because you are right on the cusp of that. Well, I, I wouldn't really say we faced um, we faced it directly, because I mean, if I remember very well, as I when we and we're having like our demo day, we I think I would say investor cash was still flowing very well, mm-hmm. um, like unlike right now. I would say like it started affecting sometime in, um, let's say late April towards me and then June, July, out where like started seeing that there was like um, less investor cash and, and all that. But having said that, like I've still spoken to investors, like even casual conversations would, would tell me, oh, we are still deploying capital. So you still have mm-hmm. like investors who are, willing to deploy capital irrespective of um, the situation Mm. yeah it's just the but the tightening has been dramatic right uh it's it's been it's been real uh i I think you know in general as a so i I run a venture studio also so we also build we build startups and we we just we also raise money and i also invest so i see things from both perspectives from my perspective uh it's a, two, it's a double-edged sword because this idea of 
raising money at inflated valuations comes at a, at a price of matching those valuations or meeting those milestones for the next raise. Yeah. Right. And I'll, I guess I'll just ask you, do you think we will see, or have you already started hearing about some down rounds in the market? Do you think we will see more of those? Have you had any? Well, uh, definitely, definitely. There are like some down rounds, like, um, Initially, people wanted to raise at X valuation are now doing at half of that, so thereabouts too. Um, like you said, like the tightening in the market has affected a lot of things on both ends. So we are now seeing founders like raise at less. We are now seeing founders raise way less than want to raise. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, an interesting transition. Last year and this year, it feels like summer and winter for sure right <laughs> big contrast yeah. yeah so as we wrap up here you know just a few more questions for you um you know you you've been doing this now full time for about a year and some uh what have what would you say has been your biggest challenge as an entrepreneur hmm. i would say my biggest challenge was realizing that I didn't just need to have technical skills to be a founder. And I had, had to incorporate sales skills. Um, I think that was like the most difficult part for me. So um, all my life I've been like a technical person, a software engineer, you know, to write code, design systems. But then as a founder, I now need to be able to know how to pitch to customers and now need mm -hmm. to be to know how to pitch to investors and all that. Uh, initially, that was like the most challenging part for me. And it kind of affected even when I was trying to raise money, like I appreciate that uh, because it you know, for me, like I haven't done this before. I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> uh, that was like one of the major challenges for me to transition um, into entrepreneurship. Fantastic. And so looking back, you know, over your journey, if if you do anything differently, what would it be, if anything at all? Is there anything you do differently, and what is it? <laughs> well, I, I might say it's like still pretty early for us, for me to mm -hmm. see how something differently right now. Mm -hmm. But it's been like a very interesting journey. Um, maybe if there's something I would have learned, done differently, is um, learn faster about the challenges of being a founder. I mean, mm -hmm. I think I didn't really have a first-hand experience. I'm a first-time founder. So like, I don't mm -hmm. really have experience on this, on this side of things. So mm -hmm. uh, if there was anything I would have done different would have been familiarizing myself with actually running a business first before mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. starting up. But then um, it's part of the journey learning on the job right uh, it's part of the um it's part of the trail actually learning on the job and then making mistakes and then learning from them so uh, i would really say i haven't regretted any part of it so I'm, I'm enjoying the journey so far yeah definitely as you should and so you know building an organization from two friends who are good long-time buddies who are coders who get each other you can finish each other's sentences you know each other very very well to now an organization of 26 people, right? It's a different territory, right? You're, you're embarking on a completely different world. Um, 
I guess, what are some of the lessons you're learning about organization building, right? I'm sure you're learning new things every day, right? But, you know, yeah. what are some of the lessons you're learning about building an organization or some of the lessons you, you've picked up so far or challenges you're facing or things you're trying to figure out? Well, okay. I think first first lesson I've learned is that I'm having a crucial team to execute divisions like really important. Mm-hmm. And so that means that your first set of hires, um, I would say need to have like the same energy as you, the founder. And mm-hmm. um, because the first set of found uh, first set of employees you have. Uh, are those who are going to shape up how your company is going to build. They are those who are going to shape up the culture of the company eventually. Mm. So having a crucial team and being very intentional about your initial hires is like very important to in your vision. Mm. Then maybe second thing I would say I've learned in like building organization is like, it's it's like a marathon and not, not a sprint. So you need to know how to balance expectations, balance goals, and all that. You don't want people burning out. You don't want um you you want to encourage like a very good culture within the team. So you need to know when to balance certain things. So it's like it's like a marathon. And then if you're running a marathon, you don't put your entire energy in the beginning and then at the end you burn out. So you need Fizzle to out, yeah. Yeah, I feel like those are two major lessons I've learned so far. And you also mentioned this word culture that I that I talk about a lot and spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to shape. How would you define the culture you have, or at least the one you aspire to have at Gray? Yeah, uh, the culture at Gray, it's um, very interesting. I would say like we have... We set out to like imbibe a lot of things, uh, a lot of core things initially where we are building this company. One of it is like transparency. Mm-hmm. I can see that like every member of the team knows what's happening in the company, mm-hmm. company at like mm-hmm. every time. We have like regular town halls and stuff like that. So transparency is one of the things we we do, we encourage. We have like an open door policy, not really, oh, you can't speak to the CEO, you can't. I'm accessible mm-hmm. to anyone. We have like diverse team members. We've hired team members from more than four or five different countries. Uh, we encourage auto- autonomy within the team. So I'd say these are like major um, parts of our culture, which um, we, we've imbibed in the team already. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys are expanding into, into Kenya. And this is one question I want to ask, but I skipped it, but I'll ask it right now. You, are you still doing that move? Are you still uh, planning to expand into Kenya as your first non-foreign country in Africa? Yeah, we we launched in Kenya two months ago. Oh, you already ago. launched? Okay, yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a launch party there. We're still looking at expanding to more African countries before the year runs out. So so why why Kenya first? I know this is kind of the decided tech corridor. You know, Nigeria to Kenya becomes what people do, you know, uh, either you launch in Kenya and go to Nigeria or Nigeria and then go to Kenya, which is kind of like now conventional wisdom. In your particular case, why did you guys choose Kenya as your first port of call as opposed to Ghana or the other West African countries? Why Kenya for you guys? 
Uh, well, I'll say first, because of like the target demography we are looking at, um, because like we're targeting our products at remote workers first. So mm-hmm. after Nigeria, like if you look at the next country that has like high number of remote workers, you're definitely going to mention um, Kenya among, among that list. And then with the opportunity I've had to work in different organizations, different African organizations, like here look at Paystack. We could see, I could see like a very high number of remote workers coming from this particular region, Kenya. So it was like a, a mix of um, both what I have seen from my experience and then mm-hmm. from the research which informed that decision that okay, um, Kenya should be the next market. Makes total sense, makes total sense. And, and welcome to Kenya, even though it's belated. Uh, next time in Nairobi, you, you definitely need to look me up and I'll do the same when I'm in Lagos. So final questions here, uh, rapid fire round. So I'm just gonna say a word and then you can tell me what, what comes to mind. Uh, you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Africa. Nigeria. <laughs> Africa. So Africa equals Nigeria. <laughs> Well, well, maybe I did get I did get the game very well. well no, what was the game? I'm, I'm just going to say a word, and okay. whatever comes to mind, you tell me, right? Whatever idea comes to mind, like what it means to you, right? So mm. okay. we'll start again. Okay, so Africa. Culture. Awesome, I love it. That's the first answer I've ever gotten on that one, but it's so true. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, entrepreneurship. Hard. Hard. <laughs> I get a lot. I get that all the time. <laughs> all right. You know, vision 2030. What's your 2030 vision? Mm. That's like 10 years from now. Um, well, that's like that's like a long one. But I think for me, um, I want to build this company for as long as I can. It's it's something very dear to me. It's like it a pain point. So it's, I'm very intentional about how we are building this company, how we are building our solution, how we are solving the problems of our customer. So um, I might still be here great by then. Uh, maybe the, comp- the company will just be way bigger than what it is today. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Uh, it, it, I've really enjoyed talking to you and um, yeah, we should definitely do this again. I'm sure you guys are gonna break a lot of new ground in the t- in the fintech space across the continent. Because the problem you're solving is 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 a cross continent problem for sure, right? So, I thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs>